we get to know people very well and there's fantastic value in continuity of care and having a doctor that knows you well. So many illnesses now are, are stress related. There's so much stress and anxiety in the world. There's a lot of people experiencing burnout. A good family doctor can be absolutely invaluable to guide you, to support you through the peaks and troughs of life. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. Welcome to In the Doctor's Chair. This is part one of a two-part conversation whereby I was a guest on the podcast series of my old alma mater, University College Dublin School of Medicine. As a guest to Professor Patrick Murray, for me, this was very much a trip down memory lane of student days, special memories and some of those key early influences which have shaped my decisions in choosing my career to date in medicine. I really hope you enjoy it. Today, our MGA podcast is part one of my conversation with Dr. Mark Rowe, a 1991 graduate of the UCD School of Medicine. Dr. Rowe has been practicing as a GP for over 27 years. He's the founder of the Waterford Health Park, which has become both the base for Dr. Rowe's medical practice, as well as the Lifestyle Medicine Be Well Clinic. In 2013, the Waterford Health Park received the Global Health Improvement Award, a place to flourish. Dr. Rowe is the author of three books, A Prescription for Happiness, The Ten Commitments to a Happier, Healthier Life, The Men's Health Book, and The Vitality Mark, published recently by Gill in 2022. Mark is a regular media contributor nationally on RTE, Virgin Television, The Irish Times, Business Post, and other outlets, and internationally as a well-being leader and conference contributor, where he shares his thoughts on positive health and well-being practices. As a keynote speaker, Mark regularly delivers events and workshops for organizations around the world. His TEDx talk entitled the doctor of the future, prescribing lifestyle as medicine, amplifies his teachings. Notable engagements to date have included UCD Smurfit Executive Development, the US House of Representatives, and a number of Fortune 500 companies. Mark is among the first medical professionals globally to be certified as a diplomate of the International Board of Lifestyle Medicine. Lifestyle medicine is defined as an evidence-based lifestyle-first approach prevention and treatment of chronic disease. Mark has always held a strong desire to change the culture of a pill for every ill. 
He advocates lifestyle change as the best medicine for lasting well-being. No stranger to podcasting, Mark's weekly podcast, In the Doctor's Chair, has international following with guest speakers from across the globe and locally, from the areas of medicine, sport, academia, politics and business, sharing conversations on health and well-being. Mark, I'd like to welcome you today and look forward to speaking with you. Pat, thanks very much for having me. It's a great honour to be here speaking to the Medical Graduates Association. So we're going to start at the beginning. Tell us when you decided to become a doctor and how that came about. You know, my granddad was a doctor, Pat, and even though I never met him, you know, he died when my mother was only 19. Uh, Sort of his shadow had a big influence on me. In the sense, uh, I never wanted to be anything else from the age of seven. I always told anyone who'd listen or who asked, I'm going to be a doctor. Uh, Of course, at seven, you don't know why. How could you? But I've always been interested in people. I'm a people person. People fascinate me. So I was think I was always going to be a a family doctor or a GP. But right throughout school, it was there was no question I was always going to, you know, go to medical school and you know, I was fortunate, you know, learning came easily to me. Uh, I was also at school, very focused, very disciplined. So getting in was not difficult. Sounds like you decided uh, long before you knew you were going to do well in your leaving cert and uh, 10 years before. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't about, um, you know, getting grades or, or points or anything like that. It was just that was that was who I was going to be. I always saw myself as as being a doctor. There was a lot of medicine on my mother's family. My mother and her twin sister were the youngest of, 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 of 10 children. Three had died as babies, but the other f- five living siblings had all done medicine. They were my, my granddad's um, sons and daughters. And my mother and her twin sister, they started but didn't finish in UCD. My mother ended up doing radiography and her twin sister did biochemistry, but they did medicine for a couple of years back in the day. I think they were more interested in the extracurricular activities than they were in the classroom, to be honest. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you're right, but uh, there's many ways to, to do it as we're, we're finding out and having these conversations. Absolutely. Uh, tell me about your f- first years in, the me- in medical school. Um, you, you were in Belfield for a year, probably. When I look back now, I mean, I was doing a lot of reflection this morning, driving up from Waterford, thinking about the types of topics you were going to discuss with me, Pat. And I was really thinking, you know, when I was 17 and came up to Dublin, as it were. I was so green behind the ears. I was so immature, so, I suppose, so innocent and had so much to learn. And really, I think college um, was really when I grew up as a person. Got me very much on that process of growing up. And I had a lot to learn. And uh, I think my extracurricular activities in UCD were as as formative, if not more formative, than the the academic ones. But um, yeah, Belfield for a year, and then we went into Arthur Terrace and the terrace was quite uh, confining, but it was, it was fantastic. We all got to know each other as classmates very, very well. And, you know, it, there was a great sense of camaraderie among the medical group there. And uh, during that time, um, what kind of accommodation did you have in those days? Where would you stay? Yeah, well, first year uh, I was in Diggs in Mount Marion, which is near, near Belfield here. But a 20, it was about a 20 minute walk. And then I went into, you know, flat accommodation with, with some friends. I remember in second med, we were in Rathmines and we were in uh, a lovely place called Belgrave Square in Rathmines, but we weren't in the house now. 
we were in the garden shed. <laughs> there was three of us in a small little garden shed. I mean, you wouldn't swing a cat in this space. And the three of us were, were in there. And, uh, you know, it was cold. We had no heating. You know, it was, it, was, it was primitive. And it was great, probably. It was survival and, and it was great crack. <laughs> you know, it, was, it really was. It was, the, it was the best of times. Um, you know, you mightn't have had a bob in your pocket, but you hadn't a care in the world kind of thing, you know. And what, what kind of stuff did you do to socialise? Were you into sports? Were you into music? Played, played a good bit of tennis. I've always loved tennis. Uh, played a bit of soccer in college. You know, then we went out, we partied. The big, the big social scene in, in, in the medical school, um, particularly when you went on into the, into the hospital years. You know, it was, a, it was great crack. And when, when you were in college, uh, in the terrace, um, any particular memories of, of the subjects or the, the teachers there? Well, of course, there was Ronnie O'Regan, the late Ronnie O'Regan. He was the professor of physiology and, you know, he was, uh, he used to smoke a pipe, I remember. And I remember he'd be standing watching us all leaving the lecture and you'd sort of think he was looking into your soul and analysing it. But uh, he, he was great. Well, I, I got to know Ronnie well. Um, yeah. uh, he was looking into your soul, actually. Yeah. You know, the Prof Coakley, of course, in anatomy, uh, such a sense of rigour and meticulousness and uh he was he was of course he was a brilliant brilliant uh lecturer um but you know it was just it all it all went by in a whirlwind really it all went by so fast then of course you moved out into the several different hospitals for your subjects where where did you go well i went to vincent's and then we went of course we went on the whistle stop tour around dublin then temple street crumlin Went to Hollis Street, of course, where we call him O'Hurley. He was a he was a great teacher. He took such an interest um, in the students. He knew everyone's name the first day. Probably still knows your name. Probably does. He's an incredible guy. But you know, I made a I made a great. I was just thinking this morning. I ma I made great friends with a Spanish student who came over to UCD for a year when we were in the clinical years called Borca, Borca Aguirre, and we were great pals and we went out together and socialised together and uh, he was a great guy and tragically he was killed in a car crash heading down to Kerry. He was sitting in the middle in the back seat of a car. I remember I was on a bus at the time and it was announced on 2FM that there'd been this accident in his name. And you know it really got me questioning life afterwards, you know, what it was all about. Here he was just taken away in the, literally in the prime of his life. And we, we were such good pals. And I still remember him now, you know, in, in the sense of the life he never had. Uh, and a reminder too to be, to be so grateful for what you do have. Do you think that was formative in, in determining that you'd try and have a well-lived life? I would think so. Uh, it, not at the time, but looking back now, I think, I think we're all formed by our experiences. And while we can't change our experiences in life, of course, you can, you can change the explanation. You can choose how you see them. And I think we, we, by building those, those skills of, of self-reflection, uh, which is something I, I'm, I'm big into, is the power of the written journal and reflection and so on. Yeah, I, th I think Borka still lives on in my heart and my memory. And I think, you know, it, it was a privilege to have known him. Um, but the, these types of things, they, they do mark you forever, Pat, and you do... You do, you are changed by these events. There's no doubt about it. Did you have any experience in general practice when you were a med student? Tragically, very little. It's one of the great ironies. 
um, there was very little exposure. I think we had a couple of mornings. So ironic, you know, the majority of the class end up doing general practice and, and primary care and general practice is the, is the you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the rock of the health system. And yet there, there, there's so little time and attention given to it. Uh, I think it's improved a bit now, but, you know, back in our day, there was very, very little. But I was very interested in people. So, I mean, it was, and it was very evident to me that I didn't really want to pursue a path or a career in hospital medicine. We're all different. It just wouldn't have suited me, you know, working all the nights and wouldn't have suited me. And I, I, I decided early on I wanted to stay in Ireland. And back then it just seemed impossible to settle with a career in Ireland. Even in general practice, it was very daunting. But no, family medicine was definitely for me. So you, you, you figured that out yourself. But um, I wonder, do, do you find it, I, I mean, I always find it admirable that general practitioners can keep abreast of so many different things mm-hmm. uh, compared to picking subspecialties where you focus in in an area. Do you, do you find that stressful at times? Is that difficult to manage? Well, let me put it to you this way. The, the specialist learns more and more about less and less as he goes on in his career until he knows absolutely everything about nothing. <laughs> you could put it that way. And tongue in cheek, we learn, we learn less and less about more and more until we know nothing about everything. So, <laughs> but what we do become very expert in is people. We get to know people very well and there's fantastic value in continuity of care and having a doctor that knows you well. So many Illnesses now are, are stress related. There's so much stress and anxiety in the world. There's a lot of people experiencing burnout. You know, a recent study by Microsoft shows about 50% of employees in Ireland have experienced burnout in the last 12 months alone. A good family doctor can be absolutely invaluable to guide you, to support you through the, you know, the peaks and troughs of life. And so you're right. Um, you'll never be able to be expert enough on everything, but you can know the people you, you serve well enough to know when they need investigating or when things change. I suppose the, the other unquantifiable bit is you, you know when they don't look right or seem right, mm. uh, which I, I think artificial intelligence, and a lot of people are talking about it, will replace a lot of our knowledge. But uh, there's a human bit that we probably aren't going to get from from any software. There's no doubt about it. You know, the, the interface of technology and health is going to be the major disruptor in the next, I suppose, 20, 25 years. I mean, it's, it's starting already and it, the healthcare is ripe for disruption with technology, but it's never going to replace uh, the human interaction. Did you, did you find the virtual consultation thing difficult to manage? It's, it's something I've, I've shied away from. Uh, and we, we, we've shied away from video consultations in our practice deliberately um, because they can they can cause more problems than they solve. In theory, on the surface, it, it sounds very convenient, but really uh, more often than not, it, it's actually just really duplication of work rather than replacing work. So we, we've found certainly telephone calls um, can be helpful, appropriate and timely. But but the video, um, it's it's a different skill set. And it isn't as, as, as simple as it might appear on the surface. I think that's, that's certainly true. Going back to your, uh, your, your medical school days, do you remember your graduation very well? <laughs> um, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, the graduation day, we had a lovely 
day, the my parents, of course, who are, who are deceased now, they were both there. My brother, my my two favourite aunts, and we went for a lovely meal in the old Burlington Hotel. And then later on that night, we went down to uh, Strings Nightclub on Leeson Street, which was a favourite haunt of mine back in the day. Yeah, I think I've been there. <laughs> Oh, it was great. You see, around that time, just to put things in context, 1990, you know, the, it was really an exciting time in Ireland. We were coming out of a very, I suppose, a grim decade of repression and depression. And uh, then World Cup Battalion 90 arrived and we were kings of the world. And it was like, you know, we all went mental for the World Cup. And uh, we were on the whistle uh, stop tour of Dublin at the time as medical students, but we spent probably more time in, in strings celebrating uh, Jack, putting them under pressure than anything else. But it was a great, a great time to be young and a great time to be to be in Dublin, and uh, and we certainly made the most of it. I think that's a that's a common experience, all right, and not limited to medical students at all. When you went beyond that to internship, did you? pick where you wanted to go or did you pick what you wanted to do in particular? I, I had a friend who had um, had done, uh, a couple of friends had done six months in, in the Louth County Hospital in Dundalk. So I went up there to do my surgical six months on the grounds that I'd learned how to stitch. And um, that was very uh, educational. I certainly got to do a bit of, quite a bit of stitching in the, in the A&E there. And um, learned a lot. I mean, it was a very interesting time to be in Dundalk. I mean, it was it was um, things were kind of on a knife edge. And I mean, I, I probably learned as much from the porters there in A&E as I did from from anyone else in terms of, you know, how to handle certain situations and certain people. But it was very good. And then I came back to Vincent's when I got to work with the wonderful late uh, Brian Moore, the cardiologist who I mean, he really had a lasting impression on me. Um, and I think it was his, the fact that he cared. You need a really depth of humanity to him. And he cared in a way that, I, that some of the consultants didn't. Maybe they were just too busy or they were too much in their own little worlds or in their silos or whatever. But, but certainly as a, as, a, as a student and as a young intern, he really went out of his way to make sure that you were in a good place and that you were being looked after in terms of your own career choices. And he was always asking, what could he do to help? So he, and yet he wasn't, he wasn't perfect. You know, he was, he was, as we're, we're all flawed and he was flawed as well, but he was really, he had a great humanity about him and a great presence about him. And it was a privilege really to have known him and to have worked with him. So he was something of a role model um, for how you carry yourself as a, as a doctor? Uh, well, he was somebody who certainly in, inspired me at the time. I remember the late Barry Bresnan as well, the rheumatologist. I thought he, he had such a great dignity about him and he was so gentle um, with patients. But in terms of who somebody who's really inspired me um, outside of those days is Abraham Verghese, who's the professor of medicine in Stanford. And I first met Abraham when I did a health leadership uh, program there uh, about five years ago. And of course, he's written these non-medical books, you know, Tennis Player Cutting for Stone. But he really rekindled um, that whole value of the, the art of practice, the laying of hands, the, list, the act of listening, the non-verbal communication. Even though he was in sort of, you know, a really high-tech hospital like Stanford, 
the, the, simp- the art of practice, the art of medicine uh, is, is really, really paramount to them. Research has shown, you know, if you look at all of the different quality criteria in, in medicine, um, if, you, if you ask doctors versus if you ask patients, doctors will have lots and lots of things that they perceive are, are, are quality indicators. But if you ask patients, it comes back to somebody that's going to listen to me, somebody that's going to understand me, somebody that's going to support me. You know, it's, it's the real basics of, of, of human communication. And I think in medicine as well, Pat, we, we have a tendency to dismiss the placebo effect. It's, if something works and we can't explain it scientifically, there has been a tendency, oh, that's the placebo. There's a really, really strong connection between the, the mind and the body. Spending a long time talking to patients is something that people don't do anymore. And it's probably not going to come back, is it? The consultation times are shrinking, aren't they? Well, it's something we try and hold on to in, in, in our practice. Uh, we try and hold on to protected time for the patient. But I know even 15 minutes isn't, isn't a long length of time. But, but, but if, you can, if you can spend a couple of minutes listening rather than jumping in. I mean, they've shown even, you know, giving someone just two, two and a half minutes can be enough time for somebody to tell you why they're there, what they think is wrong and what they want you to do about it. And that's a good start. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.